0: Welcome to Unlocking California Politics, the California Association of Realtors podcast. I'm your host, Sanjay Wagley, and today we're doing a deep dive into the home insurance crisis in California. Today, we are welcoming back two insurance industry experts, Amy Bach, co-founder and executive director of United Policyholders, and Steve Young, who is the senior vice president and general counsel at the in- in- Independent Insurance Agents and Brokers of California. Welcome, Amy and Steve. Thank, Thank you, Sanjay. I wanted to first say that last year's podcast episode that we had with the both of you was our most watched podcast of the year. So clearly people are interested in our topic and I'm honored to welcome you both back today uh, to discuss what's happening with the current state of homeowners insurance in California. Since we last spoke, there have been a number of companies that have actually stopped writing policies in the state, most notably State Farm, which attracted the most media attention. But others are also stopping. And we're hearing increasingly about other companies who are still issuing policies who seem very ready to drop um, homeowners who might not qualify or or have have any type of little problem. And so it's creating a growing sense of crisis, at least within the state. We also hear many of our members uh, where homeowners and prospective buyers are having difficulty obtaining insurance and increasing use of the fair plan. So I'm gonna start off with, um, insurance companies often talk about the difficulty in getting necessary rate increases in California. And two issues which keep recurring in terms of insurance industry requests are to be able to incorporate within their rate structure Um, forward-looking risk modeling and reinsurance. So I'm going to start with forward-looking risk modeling. And first of all, and I'll start with Amy. What is it? (laughs) And why do insurance companies want it? And then I'll, uh, Steve, uh, we'll we'll go to you.
1: So um, thank you so much, Sanjay. Um, So forward-looking modeling would be, um, we, we in the business refer to them as CAT models. And that would be a product that a vendor has sold to an insurance company that purports to predict into the future. So extrapolate from the past, but also load in algorithms uh, based on science um, and projections, economic projections, to say that it is likely that this will happen in the future. So they're basically uh, predictive models. And there are two kinds of models that are in play. There are underwriting models that would be something that a lot of your realtor members will be might be familiar with because it's um, uh, getting more and more um, publicity. Would be a fireline score, a risk mm-hmm. score, right? That would be the number that's placed on a on a structure. Um, that's a that's an underwriting model, right? Cap models are rate models, right? So in California, insurance companies have been able to use. The underwriting models, FireLine score, CoreLogic score, um, but they're not allowed to use CAP models, which would be a rate model. uh, Because we have a regimen here in California where the Department of Insurance is charged with reviewing rate filings by insurance companies um, and understanding the assumptions in those rate filings. And those rate filings there only are a certain number of rating factors that can be permissib- permissibly used in California because we have not just rate regulation, we have what's called prior approval, right? The department has mm-hmm. to approve the rates, but we have Prop 103 in California. Prop 103 enumerates the allowable rating factors. So we have a unique system here in California. And currently, because CAT models have some, a lot of people will talk to, about them being black box models. There are assumptions built in and the algorithms built in that are proprietary. And so the Department of Insurance has been saying, a, they're not one of those permissible rating fact. We can't we can't use them. Um, B, we can't see what's in them, and therefore we don't we're not we're not going to allow insurers to use them. And insurers are have been on a, a, a very steady lobbying campaign to be able to use cap models.
0: Stephen, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I I do. Number one,
2: Sanjay, thanks for the opportunity to uh, be with you here today to talk to your membership. And Amy, it's always a pleasure to see you. You Um, Have a lot of respect for you and your organization, even if we don't always see eye to eye Mm -hmm. on every issue. Um, You know, to just set the stage a little bit, Sanjay, um, and and I won't take long in doing this, but, you know, consumer groups frequently say that Uh, Property insurance in California has been hugely profitable for the insurance industry. They make that allegation all the time. Mm -hmm. And you know what? They're right. It has been. Historically, it's been a hugely profitable line of insurance for companies. But what has changed dramatically starting in about 2016 in California has been the emergence of this absolutely catastrophic exposure to wildfire loss, which is unprecedented in its magnitude, both financially and just geographically. Um, In California, since 2016, insurance companies have paid out over $30 billion in claims just in California, solely related to wildfire losses. Those sorts of losses are not sustainable. You cannot continue doing that. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why that's true. Um, I mean, global warming. I, I I think it's almost a misnomer to talk about global warming. We're not dealing with climate change. We're not talking about global warming. We're talking about weather catastrophes, which you can see on just about any point on the globe that you pick today, from Hawaii degrees to, to here in California, the, the climate scientists are telling us that this is not an isolated phenomenon, that these extraordinary periods of drought, the extraordinary uh, fires that we're having to deal with, all of the other uh, conditions are not only going to not stay the same, they're going to get worse. You've got that. You've got this very significant population growth in the wildland urban interface. We know, especially in California, there's massive forest uh, mismanagement over time. So there's just tons and tons and tons and tons of dead trees. You've got all the population growth. You've got all of these factors that are driving these massive losses. And so what we have to recognize, I believe, is a matter of public policy is that the business of writing property insurance in this country, both residentially and commercially, right. has changed inexorably for the worst. Nobody wants to pay more for insurance. But the nature of these losses are so extreme. They are so catastrophic in nature that we cannot continue what we've been doing if we if we want a, a different result. And, and the reason that insurers have been withdrawing and retreating from this market is because they need really two things. Insurance companies need two things in order to write insurance. They're very good at assessing risk, but they need two things. One, they need adequate rates that are commensurate from an actuarial standpoint with the risk they're being asked to write. And number two, they need timely decisions from the regulator. And and they're not getting either one of those from this Department of Insurance, and they haven't been for a number of years. Now, turning specifically to modeling, Amy's exactly right. There are these two different types of rate models. The reason it's relevant here is that California's prior approval uh, laws have kind of a unique feature to them. There are several unique features to them, but one of them is that insurance companies are required to base their rates solely on their own historic loss data. You you can't use what you think you're going to have to pay in the future in claims. You're you're limited solely to this sort of rear view mirror look. And and that's okay. I think you can get away with that as long as maybe getting away with it isn't the right articulation. But you can can survive in that business climate if the, the loss that you expect is more or less predictable and consistent from time, you know, from one year to the next. And it really has been in property insurance for a long time, but not since 2016. And so that's why insurers, actuaries, other experts say, we must allow insurers to incorporate, not exclusively, but as one factor in the commissioner's evaluations, the expected future losses and what that means for rates.
0: Stephen, one um Amy sort of explained the way the algorithms work and those models work, I think one concern would probably be is the transparency of those models in terms of figuring out what assumptions might be built in. Are they accurate assumptions? Are they something they could question? What, what are your thoughts on that? Would the companies that are involved in that be willing to say, let the Department of Insurance take a look at under, under the hood, if you will, of those algorithms?
2: Well, let me say that I know enough about computer science and these algorithms to be dangerous to everyone within the sound of my voice. I know nothing about it. (laughs) But there are provisions in Prop 103 that require all components that go into rate making to be open to public inspection so there can be appropriate scrutiny. And I'm confident we can find a way to reconcile, on the one hand, that imperative towards transparency and towards openness, with, on the other hand, the sort of proprietary ownership interest that some of these companies have in developing these systems, um, I, I think it's uh, important to note, just as Amy said, that you know there are there are different types of modeling. Um, it, modeling is used for different purposes, right? And and the modeling that's used for underwriting or just in a risk assessment, those systems are not new. They're not scary. Every They are widely used, even in California. I mean, the California Earthquake Authority uses them. Cal Fire, the Department of Forestry uses them. Um, they, they're, they're very commonly used. It's just the rate component. We've got to figure out some way to sort of, again, balance that if I'm if I'm a private company and I've invested an immense amount of money in developing this productive software, you know, there's a proprietary element to that. Mm-hmm. They don't want their competitors to see how they're doing what they're doing. Right. It's a competitive business. So there's got to be some way to do it. And California is the only state or one of the only states in the entire country that doesn't let insurance companies use these models for rate making and other states have addressed these issues. There's, there's a variety of different ways that you can do it. And, and the Department of Insurance actually held a workshop, which Amy testified at, uh, so did I, a few weeks back, where some of those different methods were reviewed. There can be independent commissions, uh, that kind of uh, that are appointed by the commissioner to kind of review it almost in camera, if you will, um, It's possible that we could develop some sort of a University of California sort of system that everyone recognizes and uses. There's there's a way to do that. But it it does. I will admit that it does require some thoughtful uh, analysis to, to reconcile the need for transparency with the proprietary interest.
0: Now given the fact that the state of California is basically making significant expenditures changes to the way we live in many ways in order to address, you know, climate change. And then it's basically a sort of, uh, you know, mantra for the whole state in, in many areas. Um, what, what do you say about the ability to, to use such forward-looking risk models given the fact that climate change does seem to be uh, resulting in more extreme weather events and more less predictable uh, patterns.
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> I think I think you know we've got a problem of um trying to find sort of a middle ground here, right? Um I think that the um it is true that um that the CEA uses cap models um and the fair plan is allowed to use them. So, you know, my organization has not, you know, been ever said um, this is out of the question, you know, we don't, we're not luddites saying, you know, we don't believe in new approaches and um, predictive, you know, predictive analytics. I think our concern, and that's the same concern I'm sure that your members have, is that in a lot of parts of the state, people are already having rate shock, right? They're paying triple, quadruple, you know, when you hear the premiums that people are already paying, you know condos says hoa's you know going from 50,000 a year to 500,000 a year and you know just um really extreme um price spikes that people are dealing with now um our concern is when we look at how how cap models <clears throat> have caused rate shock in some other areas we're just scared about frankly for the property owners of the state Um, In terms of like if if the rates are already where they are now in a lot of these these suburban and and and, um, rural areas, what is going to happen when we when, you know, insurers are allowed to use these commercially developed models and you know we look at, for example, the flood program where they. Adopted something called Risk Two Point a couple years ago, and it has been so controversial that ten states have sued them to block it because the the rates that this that the the cap model uh, put into place caused such shock rate premium shock. You know, um, so so that's just a basic. I mean, we're not we're not expressing concern because we feel that you know we have to stick to the past. We we recognize, and I think most. Most people in California recognize that risk has increased, right? People, you know, we've had now starting in 2016, you know, we had a series of mega fires. Um, of course, we've had a break the last few years, um, which is really important. Um, similar to how Florida had a break for a while. They had a couple of years where they didn't have a lot of bad hurricanes. Now they're getting slammed year after year. Um, so I think you know, property owners will recognize, okay, I get it. I'm going to have to pay more for living where I live. Right. Um, But the question is how much more is fair? Because what, what we're really concerned about, and I know elected officials are concerned about it. I know your members are concerned about it is, is since people all are already struggling under the weight of premium increases, how much worse can it get? And that's that's really the essential fear that we have, right? And I think there's a middle ground, you know, in my testimony at the first hearing and the department's gonna do another round of hearings on cap models. Um, we said, well, there might be, there's another way to do this. And and this was a concept that one of my staff members came up with, which is um, he worked at the Department of Insurance for a long time, which is, okay, so insurers, let them not just use their experience from their book of business and the claims that they paid, but let them use their competitors' experience as well. So let, let that be the basis for the cat load that they can put in to their rate base. So we feel like there's a there's an alternative. I'm not sure we've gotten the attention um, for that concept that we would like to get. I think um, you know, we all know there's all these negotiations going on. I'll be honest with you, Sanjay. I'm from Brooklyn. I'm a deal maker. I, I came back, you know, years ago from a, a NEIC meeting talking to, you know, uh state insurance regulators. And of course, everybody's been complaining about, you know, oh, prior approval, you know, insurers are like it's be, you know, we like Nevada, where we can get our rates, you know, we can start using our rates, you know, or three weeks after we file or whatever, right? Um and and so you know definitely I came back and and you know said hey could we do we have room here to negotiate on their two wish list items right getting reinsurance being able to pass along reinsurance costs to their to their customers and using cat models and I think the department very responsibly said hey we we want to have a robust market here I mean it's not like the department is happy about the current state of affairs they're looking for solutions too. But they need to protect consumers and they cannot allow insurers to overreact. And that is the core of what what we're trying to figure out here is like, to what degree are insurers overreacting and to what degree are vendors um, fueling that overreaction?
0: Okay, Thanks, Amy. So we're going to move on to reinsurance, but I am going to take it as a cause for optimism (laughs) that there seems to be at least like, yeah, maybe there's something here on that one. <laughs> so, so we're gonna we're gonna take an optimistic look. That there there the, the looks like there's some room for compromise on that. Um, the next one I'm gonna address is reinsurance, and we'll start with you, Stephen. Can you explain in like layman's terms what is reinsurance and why do insurers want to be able to incorporate reinsurance costs in their rate filings? Which, is, well, which, by the way, just real quick, is not allowed in California, and I think we're one of the few states that does not allow it. Yeah,
2: California is the only state, to my knowledge, that okay. does not permit insurers to use their reinsurance costs in rate filings. Reinsurance, you know, the whole notion of, of insurance, as you know, Sanjay, as your listeners know, is about spreading risk. And the more severe the more extreme those risks are, the more important is to spread it as widely as possible. So you, you'll sell off a certain layer of exposure to one group of insurers and another layer perhaps to another and then a, a higher level still way beyond. Um, and so that, that's it, it's an essential part of the insurance mechanism um, to, to answer that question more fully. I, I want to posit a, a hypothetical for you and for your listeners. So bear with me for a second. Um, we all know that in California, there is a lack of housing right now, right? There is an absolute housing crisis. The governor, of the legislature, other policymakers focus on it. Um, you know, let's just say hypothetically that I decide that the cause of this housing crisis in California has nothing whatsoever to do with the laws of supply and demand. It has nothing whatsoever to do with high interest rates. It is all primarily the result of exorbitant, outrageously high real estate agent commissions. All right, this ends now. Just kidding. (laughs) That's what's causing the crisis. Now, parenthetically… Sanjay, I feel like no agent commi- insurance agent commission can ever be too high. And perhaps you feel the <laughs> same way about real estate agent commissions. It's impossible to even get too high. But let's just say hypothetically, that's, that's the political dilemma. And so there is an initiative passed that creates a real estate czar who is given the power to absolutely set every real estate agent commission for sale. And they develop regulations to determine what the maximum commission can be in every case. But this our decides to just exclude all marketing expenses that a realtor might have to pay. And caps, staging or other expenses that go into making the property as presentable and desirable as possible. I've just described to you Prop 103. I mean, that's exactly what Prop 103 did to the property casualty insurance business. And by excluding all of an insurer's legitimate and necessary reinsurance costs, it's designed to suppress rates, but it does not produce a fair or accurate measure of an insurer's profitability. And that's just one example, by the way. There, I mean, Prop 103 said one thing, but then the Insurance Commissioner promulgated regulations to implement it, which, in a variety of different ways, either um, overstates insurer revenues or understates their expenses. And again, to just come back to the central theme for today, you can you can live in that environment as long as rate losses not rates, losses, are predictable and consistent. But in an environment where they are suddenly blowing up, where suddenly there is no predictability and the losses are so utterly catastrophic, you just can't do that. So the reason that insurers, actuaries, and others say the single most important thing that we could do to restore the health of the property insurance market is to give insurers credit for the reinsurance costs that they incur on California-based losses, exposures, um, that does more than probably anything we could think of to try to promote rate adequacy. And, and one other thing I'll say, um, I know Amy's chomping at the bit, <laughs> um, but one other thing I'll say, you know, she she mentioned in her comments that, you know, we're seeing in HOA, Uh, or or condominium uh, liabilities, you know, premiums go from five to $50,000. In some cases, it's even more extreme than that. I mean, there's no question that there is an absolute crisis in availability and affordability. But where a premium has gone up that much, it's because the policyholder, the insured has had to go into the non-admitted market and, and every state has a non-admitted market. Those companies are not subject to Prop 103. They're not subject to the same authority of the commissioner to review you know, rates and approve those things. But even those companies are not riding in these areas that are most prone to wildfire. They can charge anything they want. They can write any type of policy they want. They, could, they can impose massive deductibles or just exclude things from coverage. They are limited only by their own imagination and what they think the market will bear, But even those companies are not riding property insurance in these areas that are most prone to wildfire. So our hope is that if reforms can be enacted, that it will restore the admitted property insurance market. And yes, prices are probably going to have to go up. I don't think there's any way around that. Nobody likes it, but when you've got $30 billion in claims paid just related to wildfire just in California over a really short period of time, rates have to go up. So our hope is that if these reforms are enacted, if reinsurance can be appropriately factored into the rates, that that will restore a competitive property insurance market in the admitted market. And that in and of itself, we think, will expand consumer choice and drive
0: prices down. Amy, I'm sensing skepticism. Well, <laughs> I mean, first of all,
1: the $30 billion that Steve has referred to actually is less than that because that doesn't include, for example, the $13 billion that <clears throat> insurers got from PG&E in a settlement that offset a lot of what they paid out on the North Bay fires. So it's not like insurers are not getting to factor in, in their own business operations, the benefits they get from the reinsurance they buy. I just don't think um, Steve's, by the way, I work with a lot of your, you know, Steve's members. I have a lot of respect for Steve and, but I hear very different stories from some of his members that are on the front lines. Right. Um, You know, I think that, that, um, uh, that the, it's not, you know, equating Reinsurance cost to to a commission is is it's a it's apples and oranges, right? It's really um, reinsurance is the insurance that insurers buy, right? And the reason that 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 consumer advocates and the department have taken the position that it's a cost of doing business that insurers um, need to need to work into their own um, budgets, not not pass along purely, is because reinsurance rates are not regulated. Nor are there forms. And what's happened in recent years is that reinsurers are starting to get much more into the micromanaging of their primary insurance customers business, right? So now it used to be that they would do national treaties, you know, insurers and reinsurers would do these national treaties. Now they're they're much more localized treaties. And we have been, I understand that many reinsurers are saying to their primary insurer customers, we don't want to see. Any book, any customers in your book of business that have a risk score of above a seven or something, so they they are reinsurers are driving a lot of what's going on here, and it's been a hard reinsurance market for the last few years, meaning that reinsurers have upped their prices uh, by a lot, um, and and that is impacting insurers. So I there's no question uh, that reinsurance is a big part of what's happening here, but again. We have to find that middle ground, right? Because you don't hear insurers reporting on the offset that they got against their paid losses from their reinsurers, right? That they don't report that. So that thirty billion actually is not is probably more like twenty if you take out what they actually what what the the amount of their losses they got paid by reinsurers. So that's one thing. And then another thing is just um, you know the fact that. I mean, this whole thing smells is smelling weirder and weirder to me. Right? Meaning, why would unregulated, non-admitted insurers that don't have to go through Prop One Hundred Three? Um, why would they be showing the same reluctance? Um, you know, to be writing properties in, in these areas as admitted companies who are subject to regulation. Well, one answer I think is some of the reinsure, I'm sorry, some of the non admitteds are actually subsidiaries of, of admitted companies. So they have the same agenda here, which is dismantle Prop 103, dismantle prior approval, fast track our rate increases, um, and and, you know, let us be free to to operate as we do in other states and again i think steve we're just trying to find a middle ground here you know i mean for me you know i don't um like i said like i i, I would i would like to find a way to fix this situation that's not going to make it worse and that's that's really where we are you know we're kind of like I just don't, I I know that insurers have hated prop 103 since the day it was passed 1988, they have been trying to undo it for the entire time. So there's a part of me that's really like when, you know, in consumer watchdog, my organization is very different from consumer watchdog. First of all, we don't intervene in, in rate cases. Like for us, we feel like the department of insurance has a professional staff. That's their gig fine. Consumer watchdog intervenes. Um, That's not what my organization does, Um, you know, and and so for me, like I don't have a philosophical objection to insurers being able to pass along costs. What we're looking for is appropriate guardrails so that a situation that's already really bad doesn't get worse. And what I haven't heard in any of these negotiations is if the insurers get what they want, let's say the legislature figures out a way to avoid the two thirds majority vote. That would be required to change Prop 103, right, which was a ballot measure, let's say they figured it out, what guarantees are insurers willing to offer that they will come back that they will renew that they will give appropriate mitigation discounts. I haven't heard any concessions like that, and we certainly didn't see them in Florida. For all the tort reforms that got done in Florida, no concessions about insurers saying, "Okay, if we get this, if the legislature gives us this or the regulator gives us this, we will commit to coming back. And and without those guarantees, I just see it as a very risky proposition um, for, for the state right now to just sort of give insurers those blank checks to use cap models and pass along reinsurance rates.
0: Okay, Stephen, before we move on from reinsurance, I'm just going to give you an example so that I can understand this. And I think hopefully some of our listeners, I happen to live in a very low risk part of our state and our region. And we have very, very reasonable insurance rates. Um, So if say reinsurance was obtained primarily due to the huge fire losses, what would happen to me?
2: Well, (laughs) there there is a difference um uh, sanjay between a rate and a premium um the 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 rates that insurance companies use which are subject to prior approval by the commissioner are kind of the overarching uh uh, uh sort of financial structure and then individual premiums are sort of personalized based on where a property is, what the risk profile is, et cetera. So, in assuming there are in fact any uh, low risk areas in California these days, I'm in it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's what everybody says, Tanjay. I'm I'm in it. Uh, but assuming there are, you should never be paying as much as someone in a high risk area. I mean, that's the whole idea of insurance, that there is a relationship, an irrational relationship on the property capital side of things between the risk presented and what an insured company is required to sort of charge from an actuarial standpoint to do that. And and so, look, again, I, I don't I don't like saying this and and I don't like what it means for me personally, but insurance rates are going to have to go up. You know Amy Amy expressed skepticism about why non-admitted companies aren't writing. Well, I got 30 billion reasons why Amy or 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 20 billion using your calculations. Nobody wants to sign up for that level of almost guaranteed loss. And and the other factor Sanjay and I know you're familiar with this too and we haven't talked about this a whole lot is the California Fair Plan. The California fair plan is an absolute it's not even a time bomb it's like a thermonuclear bomb that's waiting to go off right now the the, the fair plan you know was created by the legislature in the 1960s to guarantee to ensure that if people could not get at least basic fire insurance, just basic property insurance on their homes, that there would be some way, there would be some outlet for them to get insured, right? And so over time, the fair plan has been expanded from the inner city and then from brush areas to statewide. And right now, the fair plan is pretty much the only sort of source for property insurance in a whole bunch of the state. It provides very minimal coverage. There are coverage caps and there are a whole bunch of other limitations, but the fair plan is itself not an insurance company. It's basically a private association of insurance companies themselves. It's like this hybrid sort of entity that is carefully regulated by the Department of Insurance, but is actually run by the insurers whose companies write all the property insurance, right? They, right now, and this was as of May, so the actual number now, as we approach September 1, is probably substantially larger. But in May, they were reporting they had 200 and $25 billion in potential exposure to claims. Because, I mean, the fair plan is riding in all the areas where nobody wants to touch any type of risk. You know, Lake Tahoe would be a perfect example, or the Malibu, you know, Pepperdine, those areas, Mm -hmm. Big Bear, all those areas. Because the fair plan is not a company, they don't even begin to have the resources on hand to pay claims if there was an absolute catastrophic loss. So the way the laws are set up currently, the fair plan has the ability to essentially impose assessments on insurance companies based on their market share to pay their portion of, you know, catastrophic fair plan losses. The reason that is important and the reason it is driving, we fear, some of the marketplace retrenchment that we're seeing is that not only do companies, these insurance companies have to pay their own claims, if any, in an area where there is a fire, but they then have to pay a potentially just huge assessment from the California Fair Plan. And right now, those assessments are not apparently recoupable. So companies just have to eat that expense. And for smaller companies, if you're a big company like State Farm or Allstate, you you can absorb that. But if you're a smaller company, especially the independent agency companies who's who's are who are served by my members, that could put those some of those smaller companies out of business, just because again, the magnitude of exposure. So that that's that's another factor, Sanjay, that has the potential to affect your rates even in a low risk area.
0: And so let me segue that to uh, Amy. One. Currently in the lower risk areas of the state, even though State Farm and some of the bigger carriers have stopped writing policies or are not writing as many policies as they may have previously, there are a number of smaller or medium-sized admitted carriers who are who are offering insurance. In many cases, they again, you might lose state Farm, but you get um, another company that's admitted. Okay. But I've one of the concerns I've heard is that as those companies start to expand market share, they might be concerned about the possibility of a fair plan assessment. And that might limit the scope of their expansion or ability to take on, um, you know, if the larger carriers stop writing as many policies, they may still not be able to take up the market slack at some point. Um, what, do, what do you have to say about that?
1: Well, you know, in our presentations that my organization does all the time in communities to try to help people navigate the crisis and make good decisions, um, you know, we do explain the difference between an admitted company that's protected by the by SIGA, the California Insurance Guarantee Association, and then a non-admitted company that is not. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, interestingly enough, um, What's going to probably happen, and I'm sorry to break this news to you, Sanjay, but I think that um, whatever deal, if there is a deal that gets cut, um, you know, um, the pain is going to be spread um, uh, across the state. And I think that there's going to be, um, this is what we've seen, like we've seen in a lot of other states where we've had similar issues, um, Alabama, um, where the there was sort of like, like not exactly a fight, but kind of um, between homeowners in the coastal areas who are saying we're staggering under the weight of these um, of the premiums, you know, that um, that the cap models in some ways have have um, had unleashed on them. And then the inland people were saying, well, we don't like it either because we feel like now we're getting we're you know, we're having to carry some of the risk. I mean, I think you know, I I will say like we're all in this together in the sense that no matter where you live, there's risk, right? People in the country don't have the same risk of being broken into that somebody in the city does, right? Um, but we don't in the city we don't have the wildfire risk, right? Um, you know, the the to a certain degree we're all going to be bearing the pain of what climate change is bringing, right? It was as part of what's going on here, right? So I think that um, again we're looking for some sort of a reasonable balance here i think the insurers to me um look they're overreacting and i get it um but you know like i said we've had a couple of years where we didn't have any mega fires and even when you add up all the total losses from the five mega fires camp tubs um thomas woolsey um and 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 atlas and then you 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 um, and you add all of those up, the total losses, it's still under, it's something, it's it's under 30 or 40,000, right? And there's 15 million insured homes in California. So, you know, again, this is really, I get it. No for-profit company likes to have losses. I get it. But I really believe and after, you know, years of trying to tackle this problem that the tech tools and the scoring um, and the reinsurance prices have really knocked insurers back on their heels in terms of doing what they do, which is to 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 underwrite risk. So I just think that um, we have to find our way back here because, yeah, I agree with Steve, the fair plan, um, no panacea, uh, you know, and, and I will say this, um, you know, it, it's very hard to even find out the names of the governing committee of the fair plan or a a whole lot about it, right? There's one public member that has no vote. um, And they did give themselves a distribution not that long ago, right? So um, the member companies, right? So I think that, um, you know, definitely the fair plan um, is cause for concern. I, I, you know, um, I'd love to see the non-admitted companies protected by SEGA. I'd like to see them contributing to uh you know the fair plan in some way i don't think that's happening anytime soon um so again we're looking for that sort of middle ground where the pain gets spread fairly um and reasonably
0: so both of you are involved you know i think amy you a couple of times you've said that there's there's room for half you know maybe there's room to meet halfway or something like that is there the possibility of Um, Do you think there is the possibility of either through the regulatory or legislative process of something that would help stabilize or increase the, I think you both have indicated that it's likely due to various factors that overall costs will likely uh, increase for consumers. But is there some possibility that we could get more availability at least and still affordable, even if higher insurance, That that there's a room for compromise between and I'm sort of using you guys' proxies, but between Steve and Amy <laughs> to, to, to reach an accord um, in this. Is is there room for a deal either as a regulatory or legislatively? I'll start with Steve.
2: Well, I, I think it was up to Steve and Amy. We could probably have solved this problem two years ago, <laughs> to tell you the truth. I think we we both tend to be either more reasonable or more naive, some of our uh, respective uh uh, colleagues uh, at least on some issues you know, the, the the one thing the one thing before I answer your question directly Sanjay I want to come back to you because this is really important um you, you made the comment earlier that you know uh, there are still a number of smaller or some insurance companies riding. I don't think that's true that the the insurance commissioner and his minions, frequently say, there's over 100 insurance companies writing insurance. That is demonstrably not true. They are using market share data from 2022 that does not capture any of the retrenchments that we've seen in the last 19 months. So I'll I'll let your listeners draw their own conclusions about the competence and or veracity of the commissioner's office on that point. Uh, but th- there there is an absolute crisis. And, and I'll tell you that independent agents, because in personal lines, our companies were feeling this pressure and had less financial capacity to sort of withstand it than the big guys like State Farm. We, we've, we were aware of this sort of crisis, you know, nine or 10 months before it became, I think, more readily apparent. I think there, there there is room for a compromise. As I said earlier, insurance companies really need two things. And this is easier said than done, but they've got to they've got to have adequate rates from the regulator, and they need timely rate decisions. You know, that there are that the department admittedly is understaffed in this area. And, and let me say too, it's very easy to criticize the commissioner and the department of insurance. But my my experience repeatedly has been that the California Department of Insurance is full of incredibly dedicated and knowledgeable. Uh, public servants who understand the industry, who work very hard, who want to do what's right for the state in in balancing the competing interests of the consumers, the agents, brokers, the companies, and everybody else. So I I mean, I really tip my hat to the department for their very hard work in a very challenging environment. I I don't know if Amy would agree with me or not, but I've been in this position for over 30 years, and I've never seen either a marketplace that was as broken as this one is right now, the insurance marketplace, or whose underlying causes were so difficult and expensive to try to remediate. This is, this is a real hard set of issues. But I'm confident that there is a way to find middle ground. And I'm also confident that if insurance companies are given these additional tools, subject to the commissioner's approval and and monitoring that there will have to be and there will be firm and I mean firm and enforceable commitments to start writing more insurance. I can tell you as an advocate for agents and brokers we, we want to see companies writing more business. We it's not just a matter <laughs> of of helping their bottom line, you know. My members aren't going to Ohio or Nevada or other states. We're right here in every California community. And so, you know, that's something that we are supportive of. But um, with the the very difficult political decisions that have to be made, um, I think it's going to be very difficult um, to to find that common ground. But as we've alluded to in this discussion earlier, there have been a number of uh, very high-level negotiations uh, over the last two or three weeks, and there seems to be a consensus emerging on a package of proposals that would give the insurance commissioner uh, express statutory authority. I mean, he probably has it already, but this this would even clear the decks further for him to do emergency regulations that he could write and craft as he sees fit on uh, rate modeling and on reinsurance that would attempt. To expedite the prior review, uh, the prior approval review process, um, and would try to shore up uh, the funding uh, for the California Fair Plan, uh, all of which are things that we support. Um, So, whether or not that gets companies back or gets them back right away, I think is open to debate. The fact of the matter is even if you do emergency regulations, even if there's some consensus about what you do in those regulations, they're subject to challenge and they are subject to even on an emergency basis, um, a lot of time to prepare and get on the books. And then even if you've got that solution in place, then insurance companies have to file new rating plans. And get approval for all of the modified rates that they want to use. And that's a that's a process, even even if the department can expedite, you know, its reviews and hire more people and get them trained and all that stuff. That's a process that it's hard for me to see that being uh re- really hitting the streets in terms of something that's effective in less than a year. And I think even a year is probably hopelessly optimistic. Amy.
1: Um, I I know we're going to have to find a solution because um, this is a, you know, it affects our economy, it affects, um, you know, housing, uh, real estate transactions, and then people, you know, in their pocketbooks, right? So um, there's been a lot of media coverage in the last couple of weeks about people going bare, you know, people who've paid off their mortgages opting without it, Um the uh you know i think everyone wants a solution here right i don't think there's any of the players that are going like i'm fine with this continuing the way it is right i don't think anyone's really benefiting right now from the mess right um so uh i think that um that that you know i i, I don't think that the world's going to end if the department says that insurers can use cat models i don't think um the world's going to end you know if if um if the if the legislature gives the the commissioner the authority to allow some amount of reinsurance to get passed along, but I think the bigger, more important solutions are not just to to kowtow to to the insurers because they've created havoc right now, honestly, um and they've they've made steve's members um incomes you know plummet and um and there's a lot of desperation among agents it's a horrible horrible time you know with with um professionals who feel humiliated i can't serve my clients i can't it's uh, all my professional skills are are nothing is serving me now i really i know they don't like to put people in the fair plan um so i think that there's so much um desire to to craft a solution here that will have something. But I think that long term, we're going to need a public model um, that will be sort of a benchmark against these privately um, built models. I think we're going to need something that uh, Glenn Pomeroy and I um, had worked on years ago um, for the CEA, the California Earthquake Authority, which is they have to buy a ton of reinsurance at retail, the earthquake authority. And that doesn't make any sense, right? Because the CEA is a take all comers. Um, so is the fair plan, basically. They don't really get to underwrite. They have to take the customers that come to them unless, you know, the property has really serious flaws. Yeah. So that means they're serving a public purpose, right? There are, um, And that means, that, in my view, There should be something like what COGA was what we we worked on some years back, a congressional um, obligation guarantee, which would be on the state level, that would be to say that the fair plan and the CEA they don't have to buy all their reinsurance retail to meet their solvency requirements. They can buy reinsurance, but then they also will have a guarantee that if there's a big catastrophe and they have to pay out a lot of losses, they will be able to borrow from this, the government at a low interest rate to meet their obligations to their customers. So I think those two, mm-hmm. we have some long-term solutions we need to put in place because I don't really think that the, that the pure for-profit um property insurance model is going to ever fully come back um because of because of what we're seeing with climate change that's my view
0: okay thank you amy thank you steve appreciate both of you being here and before we sign off we have run a little long but before we sign off i don't know if this is a lighter note but i am going to start with steve and then amy just briefly what's with the drones we're hearing about insurance companies flying drones over people's properties to check out and then going oof you're denied what, what what's going on <laughs>
2: Well, Sanjay, I can't. I can't speak uh, to that specifically. Um, I I think uh, uh, I hope you've learned your lesson and will uh, at least wear a speedo when you're in your backyard. Now, Uh, you know, insurers are increasingly using uh, new technologies uh, in both underwriting and in claims handling, and they've actually been able to realize some pretty amazing efficiencies. Because uh, you can use drones if you're riding, say, a commercial uh, 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 microwave tower or something like that. You know, you can you can do the safety inspections and all that with those. So th- those are pretty amazing. But I, I can't I can't speak <laughs> specifically to problems with drones in, in, in part because, as Amy said very eloquently, uh, our, our our members are desperate for markets right now and all yeah. other issues kind of pale by
0: comparison. Thanks, Steve. Amy?
1: Yeah, just, um, uh, you know, from the time that that uh, insurers started buying drone imagery and then deploying them, we were like, this cannot be good. Because <laughs> sure enough, you know, they can see your propane tank and the wood pile next to the propane tank. They can see the, the tree hanging over your house. I mean, let's face it, they were taking you know, properties as is now for decades and decades. And um, now, you know, the, I think homeowners are having to step up and that's why um, our organization is um, pushing mitigation so hard and, you know, trying to do everything we can to, you know, help communities around the state get you know, brick grants and put these programs into place. Because I think, you know, we're fine with homeowners, look, do their part, right? You do your part. This is your asset. So um, it's on you also to fortify it, create defensible space, put the time in. Um, and, and, you know, we're looking at all the programs to help people do that. Um, but, you know, we need insurers to come to the table and say, and when you do that, when you do those things, when you reduce risk, we will reward you. And that's what we're looking for. Um, you know, is is for everybody to 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 contribute and and for the for this um, the burden to be equally spread and for insurers to um, to do what they do and come back. I mean, my goodness, all these people say, you know, I've been paying, paying premiums for thirty years. I never had, I never filed a claim. I never even used this product, and now. I got dropped and the only thing I can get back is the state program that costs like four times what I was paying. So yeah, we got to, we got to do better. And I believe that we will.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. Stephen and Amy and I do have some, I feel cautiously optimistic after uh, (laughs) talking to both of you. So uh, maybe, uh, maybe we'll revisit this and see where we are in uh, six months to a year. So, thank you again. And as thank I said, so I do much. look forward to having a, a future conversation with both of you. Pleasure thank to you be so with much, both of you. Thank you, Sanjay. It's pleasure to see you both. Thank you. Right. you thank you. you.
1: Take care.
2: Bye, everyone.
3: Disclaimer: The purpose of this podcast brought to you by the California Association of Realtors, C.A.R., is to provide general and educational information and opinions from a wide range of perspectives regarding politics, voting, elections, legislative issues, and more. The opinions, beliefs, and views expressed by guests or participants of this podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, or views of C.A.R., its affiliates, their respective directors, officers or employees reference to any individual or entity does not constitute an endorsement recommendation or any other position or opinion regarding that entity or individual by car this podcast does not constitute professional advice or services of any kind this podcast is available for private non-commercial use only you may not edit modify or redistribute this podcast